Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. Prisma Cloud is a comprehensive cloud native security platform with the industry's broadest security and compliance coverage for applications, data, and the entire cloud native technology stack throughout the development lifecycle and across multi and hybrid cloud environments. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the New Stack Makers. And today I am very excited to have Jason Williams of Palo Alto Networks, the Prisma Cloud Group, product marketing manager there. Hey Jason, how are you? Hey Alex, I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm always trying to think how you put terms that we may not know a lot about, but we hear them all the time. Here's my analogy to ransomware, which we're talking about today. You have the older sibling, right? And the older sibling says, I've got your teddy bear. And if you don't do so-and-so, your teddy bear is going to go to Fido in the corner here. And like everyone's like, no, 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 not, not Fido. No, no, don't give it to Fido. Whatever, you know? There's a psychology there, right? There is a certain way of affecting people because you have taken something from them out of your control. You can't get it back no matter where you look, in every corner of your room, every corner of the office, you're thinking it's been taken and someone says they have it. Now in the online world, it's even worse. We've all seen the TV shows where like some mass voice says, I got you, I got all your company secrets and you know, and uh, you're going to like find, you're not going to be able to get anything ever again. You're going to go out of business. And you're like, oh, oh, that's kind of the dramatic kind of look at it. Am I right on right here? Is that kind of the equivalent? But maybe even more so, how do you think of ransomware? And how do you think of it today and how it's changing? I got to say, that's an incredible, simplistic way to put it, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're on point there, by the way. So if I were to put in more drier terms, yes, you have some sort of adversary. Somehow they get a hold of critical data, company data for an enterprise or organization. And They're essentially holding it for ransom. They're like, hey, we're going to publish this data or we're going to prevent you from accessing it unless you do X, Y, Z. And most of the time, because, you know, with ransomware, they're holding for ransom. It's for money. That's pretty much the cut and dry way of describing ransomware. But I really like the way you put it. I'm going to have to use that in the future. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. I love trying to find out kind of ways to make things more relevant. But it's gotten to such a point now that even the White House is talking about ransomware. You know, I've seen a little bit about what the White House has been doing about infrastructure and how they're approaching infrastructure. And it seems like they have some pretty smart people that they're working with, because in some of the discussions I've heard, it's very relevant to the discussions that we have on the news stack every day. They're talking about distributed architectures and continuous delivery. And there's some sophistication there. What are the things you're hearing that you think are resonating and not resonating from what the White House is saying about ransomware? There's a lot of people talking about ransomware, and I personally found it interesting when the White House, the Biden administration, started talking about ransomware and actually calling on business executives and organizations to act on it more urgently. And in fact, just a couple months ago, they released a memo with a few best practices in there. Some of the best practices I feel are not 100% cybersecurity, but more of just good hygiene within your IT infrastructure. So just backing up system images, data, disaster recovery, things of that nature. But what we found more interesting within those best practices was that 
they're urging people to patch their systems, their workloads that are in the cloud, inside the enterprise, even your, your laptops per se, always do software updates to patch those vulnerabilities. And then also segmenting networks, and we can touch a little deeper on that later, but it's really just isolating systems that are critical away from systems that are less critical. And those are a couple of best practices that personally I found interesting that when the White House really started highlighting it because at Palo Alto Networks, that's something we also believe that you should be doing as a best practice for cybersecurity to combat ransomware. Okay, so I'm going to try to like make this relevant again. Okay, I hear about ransomware from the White House. But let's say I'm a local dentist and I walk in and Gladys behind the desk says, Hey, Frank, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Doing just fine. You know, going, I have my apple. I look at my calendar for the day. And I read a little bit maybe on my phone about ransomware, but it doesn't really register. And I kind of wonder how it's ever going to register at all with people. Or do you see that changing a bit where Frank the dentist is now thinking about it more? Because it affects everyone, but often, I think we're all guilty of this, we live in these vagaries, like, oh, there's that distant threat, there's that distant problem that we have. I'm curious on how prevention is actually has an influence on people. I mean, what do you find? One of the things about ransomware is that ransomware itself is highly motivated by money, per se, hence the ransom and ransomware. One of the things that's driving ransomware is that how much money can I get out of a business and then move on to the next attack. So when we talk about the small office dentistry, attacker may not be so interested in that, more so in a larger enterprise. Not to say that small to medium businesses don't get compromised by ransomware attacks. They do, but you start to see more and more from larger enterprises. Now, when it comes to impact, a lot of times these things are not thought about before because everyone assumes that they're safe. And they kind of wait until something in the news releases which there's been several publishments that we can talk about during this podcast, or they wait till they even get compromised before starting to think, hey, I really need cybersecurity to protect myself. It's not something that we like in this world, but it's sort of second nature to us when we think about ransomware. Right. And even the large companies, I think, probably have some kind of complacency about it. We can talk about awareness all day long, but I'm curious on like, how has ransomware changed? How is it evolving? Where does it come from and where is it going? The interesting thing about ransomware is that the attack lifecycle or the style of attack hasn't really evolved over time. What has changed over time is really the boldness of the adversary, the person who's planting the attack. Like If you were to look back over the last several years, according to our Unit 42 team, they found that prior to 2020, you may have seen like the largest payment ransomware be like $5 million or so or like the highest demand payment from a large enterprise by ransomware attack was about 15 million. But if you enter 2020, you'll see that those numbers have actually doubled. So the actual highest paid number went from 5 million to 10 million in 2020. And then the highest ransomware demanded was 30 million. A perfect example is even in 2021 now, if you look at the Colonial Pipeline attack, that led to a massive shutdown of American fuel pipeline over in the America Southeast. And in fact, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. That actually impacted my area where people were scrambling around for gas for a few days 
just because gas stations were running out of fuel. But besides that impact to local civilians, it also impacted the Colonial Pipeline Company, who had to pay somewhere between four to five million in ransom. So again, what's really changing is the outcome, the impact, and the amount of money that's demanded for the attacks. The attack itself hasn't really evolved all too much. Everyone who's listening to this recording, I would highly recommend you read the blog that Jason wrote with Ashley Ward just last week on ransomware. Jason and Ashley cover the memo that was released by the White House on June the 2nd, in which it urges corporate and executives and business leaders to increase their cyber defense and prepare for ransomware attacks. And you're outlining this a bit, Jason, when you're talking. I'd like to talk a little bit more specifically about the things that you can do. You list five points, and you were mentioning them before, uh, backing up your data, backing up your system images, backing up your configurations, regularly test them and keep the backups offline, update and patch systems promptly. I've been hearing that since the 90s, but now it's more relevant than ever. Test your incident response plan, check your security team's work, segment your networks. But for our purposes for cloud-native architectures, I want to talk a little bit about backing up your data systems and those images and configurations, because this is a real pain point already for a lot of developers and engineers. You find yourself in a world of distributed architectures that might have multiple data systems, multiple types of images, multiple configurations. People are doing configurations who've never done them before. What are some of your practices that you are really promoting at Palo Alto inside the the Prisma Cloud Group and how you can then help people support themselves to prevent these ransomware attacks? Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. Within these best practices, we believe that Prisma Cloud really fits into two of them, ideally. So starting with updating patching systems, you're hitting the nail on the head. This is not something new. It's something that's been around since the 90s, early 2000s. But what's changed is that there's a sprawl of applications that an organization may host and have to maintain. The more application you have, the larger your attack service is, because if each of those systems have vulnerabilities on them, they could be bare metal machines or virtual machines in the cloud. They could be containers or now organizations are adopting serverless functions. And all these different forms of compute and applications host vulnerabilities. I mean, there's no such thing as a clean and perfect code that's out there. So what we can do at Prisma Cloud is alleviate some of the challenges that are associated with patch management. Now, some challenges that are associated with patch management is that traditional patch management tools or vulnerability scanners, they give you just a laundry list, just a dump of CVEs or a list of vulnerabilities. They don't really help you with prioritizing those vulnerabilities. Some are lower severity, or they contain less risk than other vulnerabilities. Prisma Cloud actually helps you provide full contextual visibility around the risk that's associated with each vulnerability and how it impacts your entire organization and specific systems. And in fact, we can actually give you a list of the top 10 vulnerabilities, not just by CVE severity, but also additional context-based risk. Another problem that we see with patch management is particularly that Let's say that this is a day zero vulnerability. Maybe there's not a patch available. There's really no workaround in place. So another thing Prisma Cloud can do with its cloud workload protection capabilities is do something called virtual patching. With many vulnerabilities that are newly discovered, within minutes, we can come out with something called virtual patching, which is essentially a detection and prevention rule that detects if a specific vulnerability is attempted to be exploited 
and then we can prevent that sort of attack. That's one of the best practices in the White House mentioned with patching systems promptly. We have all these different workflows and features that enable you to do that, not just make it possible, but make it very prompt. Another best practice that was mentioned there is segmenting network systems. Now, this has definitely been around since networks were even born. You know, if we think about the basics of what a network is supposed to do, it's supposed to connect things. Right now, it's connecting, a network is connecting me and you to Zoom and allows us to do this podcast and communicate with each other. Networks allow users to access applications. When you go into a cloud, there's a network that's providing connectivity between all these different applications, all the VMs and containers and service functions, so on and so forth. Those things need a network to communicate and support the business. Attackers, like ransomware attackers, they leverage this network. They love it when the network is very interconnected because once they land on your network, they can actually move laterally. They can connect to other systems and they want to land on the most critical asset. That's what the network allows them to do. So we need to segment the network because not every application or every workload needs to communicate with each other. Just because they can by the network doesn't mean they should be allowed. So what we're doing is we're sort of decoupling these two things where a network says two things can communicate. Security is saying two things should or should not be able to communicate. And it's a very difficult thing to try to manage on your own with traditional tools. So what Prisma Cloud is doing is providing some very simplistic workflows to help you achieve segmentation. One of the things we do within Prisma Cloud is we allow you to safely get visibility into the network so that you understand how applications communicate. You can write policy and see the impact of that security policy. And by policy, I mean app one can talk to app two or this finance app can talk to the stock inventory app, so on and so forth. Because with traditional systems or segmentation platforms, once you put in some sort of rule, you could potentially put in the wrong rule and actually break a communication and disrupt the network. Again, that network is very sensitive and you need things to communicate. So we help you safely build these rules without doing any impact or enforcement so you can validate whether that's the right network security policy and network segmentation policy you need in place. And then once you've validated and you're comfortable, you can enforce these new policies that you created so that any sort of communication you did not want to happen, you disallow it or you reject that communication. So you effectively segment systems. And when you segment Let's say an attacker were to land in your cloud environment when they try to spread and get to that critical system. If that critical system is isolated or segmented, we're not going to allow it either way. Those are a couple of best practices that we highlighted within Prisma Cloud. How does this go beyond just managing IP addresses? How does this go beyond just keeping track of your networks? That's a great question. You know, traditional tools, they say, okay, this IP address or this group of IPs within this subnet or if you're familiar with you know, other parts of the network like VLANs, that's a traditional way of doing segmentation. But the problem is that VLANs and subnets are really created to help with network performance. If you think back to the 90s, systems were all on just a very flat network or one large subnet or one large LAN. They send a lot of broadcast messages. It creates a lot of noise on the network, and it really puts a strain on the network performance, slower, lower latency, slow communications, just because of all this broadcast. So by creating these VLANs and subnets, we're able to group things on the network, shrink 
the amount of broadcast messages sent over in a single network. And then that proves the network stability and performance. The problem that has come over time is that we've associated IPs, VLANs, and subnets with security. We're going to say, hey, let's say VLAN 1, can I talk to VLAN 2 or you know, allow that communication? And we just assume that's the way it's going to work. And it's not that simple because as application developers or people within organizations start to deploy new applications, they're not communicating back to the network team and saying, hey, this web application belongs in VLAN 1. This stock inventory application belongs in VLAN 2, so on and so forth. This is not the type of interaction that happens with application development teams and and network teams. If they did, this probably would be less of a problem, but this really slows down workflows for application developer teams. They just want to hurry up and roll out and test their applications or put them in production. So what we do is we forget about these basic network constructs, the VLANs and subnets, so on. We just associate your application metadata to a particular container or host. What that means is when a group of VMs or a group of containers come online and they're protected by Prisma Cloud, we can help you associate what cloud they're running in, what application is running on it. There's essentially an identity, an identity that is not associated to the network, an identity that's associated to the app. So now you can talk in application language and say this web tier needs to talk to this database tier or microservice one needs to talk to microservice two. It's a much simpler way to manage network security and segmentation by sort of disassociating away from the network constructs. There's a lot there to unpack. I want to provide just you know another analogy to the developer who is really doesn't seem to be really relevant here. It seems more this is relevant to the systems administrator and to the person in operations. Am I correct in assuming that? It really depends on the organization. In a classic enterprise, yeah, you may see a, a centralized approach where it's an uh, operations team or a uh, NetSec team that's doing a lot of these things. But when you look at a more cloud-native organization where they're adopting microservices and changing the way to develop applications, the only way to really scale this and make security effective is by delegating some of the responsibility to app developers or DevOps teams. So do you see platform engineers emerging more into this story then? Because what we're finding, at least on our side, is that there's more platform engineers who are responsible for like these different issues. Definitely. And sometimes they even sit in the middle. Like when we talk about segmentation, there's multiple layers to it. You can have a SecOps team, you can have platform team in the middle, and then you can sort of have the app developers at, at the bottom. And what I mean by you know top, middle, and bottom is the level of, course or fineness to the policy. So like a SecOps team may say something like, we don't want dev to talk to prod, isolate dev and prod systems. Platform team may say things like separate these cloud accounts or you know separate a little more fine-tuned systems. App developer may say, separate these two microservices specifically. So that's kind of where we see the operalization and hierarchy within segmentation. I want to move a little bit deeper into how the tools are changing that people use every day, that they use to configure, that they use to build the architectures. What is reflected in your architecture that is evolving, that will continue to evolve as ransomware becomes even more mainstream than it is now? So with Prisma Cloud, we offer 
lots of different ways to secure your environment. And it could be based on the type of use case you have. With our cloud security posture management, you could take an agentless-based approach and make sure you have a very clean cloud configuration because with any misconfiguration, you're vulnerable to exploits from malicious attempts or things like malware. So that's one thing. Another thing is we offer agent-based approaches allowing to get things like cloud workload protection and network security down to the host and container so that you can do this vulnerability management and also you know, get results very fast. You can actually prevent certain executions of code. You can also integrate you know, the agent into your full application lifecycle. So for instance, when we talk about patch management, normally that's done once the system is running. I deploy a VM to Windows or Linux machine. I go check that machine, go see what vulnerabilities, and then I hand the list off to whoever manages that machine and say, go patch this. We need to sort of shift this a little sooner in the application lifecycle. Before the system's even running, we can actually scan the repository of the image that is born off of. So in Amazon, this could be an AMI image. In containers, this could be a container image that is stored in a Git repo or in Docker, whatever it may be. We can actually scan that image and find what vulnerabilities are on it. We can even look at your application code and look at software libraries that are associated, software packages within your application code, and determine if those packages or libraries have any vulnerabilities associated to them. So that's a visibility part. When it comes to protection or enforcement, you can decide whether or not to actually deploy it. So when an application developer tries to push or deploy into a container VM, you can say alert when this is being deployed based on a vulnerability ascribed to that particular container image or that VM image. Or you can say, just don't allow this to be deployed because it has this vulnerability. So these are some changes that we made to be more secure and capture these vulnerabilities even sooner. So that's another part of the agent-based security that we offer is you know, the segmentation. Again, we talked about how we're disassociating from the network. We're not worried about things like the VLANs or the VPCs that you're running your cloud, the subnets. We disassociate ourselves away from that. Another thing you could do is insert segmentation earlier into the application lifecycle. So developers, DevOps teams, they're known to write in code. So rather than writing it in something like an Amazon security group or you know, a firewall rule, instead we write a segmentation rule as code and then you can insert that code as you build an application. What that means is when the application comes online, it will automatically have a network segmentation policy associated with it. And it's the application developer or the DevOps engineer who put in that rule. They didn't have to go talk to the network security team to put this in. So these are just the various ways that we sort of evolved or have an architecture that is really ready for you know, today's compute and tomorrow's compute with both agentless and agent-based security. I guess the last question I have is, what about the dependencies that people often have, especially in cloud-native environments, where everything is via API? And especially now as we see movements emerge, such as pre-configured APIs, so people don't have to create their own APIs and their own documentation, they just can use one off the shelf. What are some of the ways that you're thinking about these dependencies that are so part of our inherent work now? Yeah, that is actually something we see a lot. In order to become more agile, develop applications faster, sometimes there's no need to create your own custom libraries or our own packages. 
you had dependencies on, like you said, off-the-shelf packages and, and software. So we see a lot of application developers doing that. And what we could do is we can bring security to that and as well as APIs you know, by, of course, scanning those open source libraries and open source packages and help you determine the risk associated with those different packages and software libraries. When it comes to APIs, we can offer various solutions for APIs. With our network segmentation, we can actually segment APIs at layer seven so that we're not just looking at IPs or whatever it is. We're actually looking at the API communicating and saying whether that access should be granted or denied. We can also, with our web app and API security module within Cloud Workload Protection, we can inspect API traffic and tell you if there's any sort of vulnerability or an OWASP attack that is being attempted on that particular API call. So in runtime and real time, we'll inspect API traffic and be able to prevent any threats or any malicious attempts against APIs. Jason, I want to thank you for taking some time to talk today. We covered a lot of ground from the dentist, the older sibling, all the way to the White House, and now all those APIs that are so part of our work. Jason Williams is in the Prisma Cloud team at Palo Alto Networks. He's a product marketing manager there. Jason, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Alex. This is really fun. Prisma Cloud is a comprehensive cloud-native security platform with the industry's broadest security and compliance coverage for applications, data, and the entire cloud-native technology stack throughout the development lifecycle and across multi- and hybrid cloud environments. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Simplecast to listen to more episodes of the new Stack Makers. Then create and share your favorite audiogram using our Simplecast player. For more great stories, go to thenewstack.io.